Welcome back to an all new, all different episode of Aim for the Bushes. I'm your podcast person, Pablo, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. And today we're talking about the internet. Yes, that pesky old thing we've all grown to love the internet. Basically, what makes it possible for this podcast and many other forms of media to be accessible by a good section of of the population uh, of this planet. But before we get into that discussion, first, our non-legal legal disclaimer, which is simply that the opinions expressed by me or others on this show are simply that, just our opinions. We're not saying that we have the ultimate truth, so you can agree with us, you can disagree with us. We're not saying that only our viewpoints and or opinions are the only valid opinions. So with that out of the way, let's let's take a look at the internet. Now, obviously, that is a broad, broad topic because the internet is a big, weird thing when you think about it. Because like, what what is the internet exactly? It's so hard to define it. Obviously, it's a series of uh, of, of network connections between like computers slash servers across the planet, I guess, that all kind of like communicate together through, I guess, like TCP IP. Uh, I should just uh, let you know that I am not like a computer science uh, specialist or nerd or geek or anything like that. Like I absolutely hate (laughs) computer science because I am not good at it. Like I did uh, uh, programming like in high school and I think a little bit in university. And it's just something that I just do not jive with. It just doesn't click for me specifically. So, uh, you know, if you're someone who likes to code, uh, who enjoys coding, who enjoys like this kind of like technical stuff side of the Internet, like awesome. I'm happy for you, although I'm not going to be talking about the technical side because, like I said, I, I don't really care. And it's not really relevant to my thoughts on the Internet in general, but. The internet itself, yeah, is a weird kind of thing like to define because the way we kind of think about stuff or technology or items or concepts is like we tend to relate it to something else. So when you think of like an online store as an example, right, it's like it's our approach to it is like a metaphor. So it's similar to what you would find in a real store, right? So you have your cart. Right. If you've ever been on the Internet to do online shopping or e-commerce, I think as they called it back in the day in the 90s when this was all brand, brand new. You have terms that you're familiar with. So, yeah, you ha- you add your items to cart and then when you're ready to pay, you know, you go to check out as you would in an actual store. And even our setup for computers in general is the, um, the metaphor of an office space. Right. Like what's our main like screen that we look at on a computer is our desktop. Right. And we have files and we have folders. Right. It's all a metaphor built around, I guess, what it was initially supposed to replace or be an electronic version of. Because computers, when they were invented, were, were seen initially as business tools. Right. And just talking about Apple here real quick. Uh, that's one of the distinctions that Apple made, like in terms of its marketing to convince people to adopt their computers specifically was that they had, you know, a, gra- a graphical interface, right? A GUI or a GUI, I think, uh, as, as the common parlance, I believe, is for it. They, they said you can use it more for more than just crunching the numbers, right? More than just doing word processing, more than just doing like spreadsheets and like databases and calculations and numbers and like uh, uh, command line code and all that stuff. If anyone here who listens is familiar like with DOS or anything like that, right? So the way we are made to understand like computers and the internet and stuff like that is through this metaphor. And so when we talk about the internet, because it's so vast and you can do so many different things with it, it's hard to encompass it as like one grand analogy like i said the computer itself especially with like the graphical interface that we now commonly use to interact with it is all built around items that we understand 
based on our knowledge of the real world. So I mentioned for online shopping, right, the carts and the checkout and stuff like that. And you'll notice when you're saving like a document, there's a disk, right, to say save. So it's relating, it's creating that metaphor to a physical object that exists. And uh, as I previously mentioned, the way we interact with the computer itself right, with files and folders, which are physical objects. I mean, I don't know how many people deal with folders specifically, but definitely files, like any papers or anything like that. That's what it's made to represent, even photos, right, digital now photos. Even when you go on your web browser, you have tabs, right, which are an analogy to actual tabs that you would find in, like, print or whatever, or on a physical space. So part of the reason why, like, uh, this topic comes to mind is just, just how crazy the internet is like when you think about it all that it allows you to do like i said uh, even for this podcast going out some of the stats that i see like i see people in countries like all over the world who have like listened to this podcast and part of it just like blows my mind it's like wow you know someone in jamaica uh, listens to this like like i've mentioned in previous episodes large viewership or listenership, I guess, since you're not technically viewing anything in the U.S. Some in Canada, but also some in the U.K., some in Ireland, some in Spain, some in, like, Germany, some in, like, uh, like the Philippines. Like, all these places, like, I never would have thought anyone would ever care to listen to from. And so, you know, the, the, the reach, the potential reach you have through the power of the Internet is, is just kind of mind-boggling when, when you think about it the power it has to create connections or create communities between individuals and groups of people. But there's another part of me that asks, is this good or is the internet overall a bad, a bad thing? Does it create a negative or does it have a negative impact on us as people, as we use it? Because over the years, how the internet has developed, obviously it's changed over time. Like I remember first going on the internet when I was younger and it was like, this is like in the days of dial up and it was nothing like it is now. The things that you could do, like most people didn't understand what you could do with it because it was this brand new thing that had no like set conventions, no, no methodology set about on how to go about using it. So when you look at a lot of early websites, I like a good example would be going to like way back machine, I believe. Maybe there's Internet Archive. I can't remember. But there's like a few sites that actually like uh, catalog and screenshot certain sites over the years. So when you go back and look at sites like from the 90s, uh, well, this would be like actual like professional sites. But then when people had their own homemade sites like GeoCities, I remember that. GeoCities, I think the other one was like Angel Fire or something like that. That's where you had like the small like I guess it would be Web 1.0 where you had like the small repeating background of like some kind of like GIF or whatever, and some, like, tacky MIDI music playing, and crazy text, and, like, you know, different fonts and patterns and all that stuff. It was really crazy, and obviously everything was slow, so loading images up, like, if you want to watch, or, sorry, look at a photo, it would load line by line, pretty much, if you want to watch a video. Oh, I remember the days of buffering, where you'd have to, like, let it buffer for, for like five minutes before you could even watch like 30 seconds of the clip that you wanted to watch and videos tended to be like a minute or two long although streaming did exist i didn't even really know this but it, there was there was early like video on the internet but anyways the question i come to is like has this been good has this been for our betterment and i'm like divided on this because in certain ways the internet has been a wonderful, marvelous thing. Like I said, and just w with the example of like this podcast, it allows people to listen from all over the world. Even like on my end, when I listen to other people's podcasts, they could be from anywhere in the world and I get a chance to hear it or any kind of, uh, you know, artwork or media creation or content creation, uh, you know, be it on, uh, on YouTube, right? Plenty of creators from different parts of the world that I watch. And it's just kind of like, wow, like I would not be able to learn or experience from this person without something like the Internet, because I would be limited to what is around me locally. And so locally, I don't necessarily mean in my immediate vicinity, but wherever I am present. So if I travel to another country, I can experience 
what people are like over there and learn different things over there. But I have to be physically present in that space for that to happen. Whereas the internet, it kind of eliminates that space time necessity because it, it eliminates the, the, the need to be physically present in a given space. And obviously it eliminates the, the time constraint. Well, roughly because obviously we have like time zones and stuff, but it can make things happen like immediately, basically. It's like I can call someone, not that you should need to do this through the internet because phones uh, do exist and it's possible to communicate through, uh, you know, phone before this. But even with something like the telephone, like it bridges that gap physically. But that's another thing, right? Like you can place calls through the internet now and it doesn't have to be through a phone. So you technically don't even need like, a telephone you technically don't even need a tv because the internet can like do all things basically well not all things but it can do a lot and it can mimic a lot of other technologies that i don't think anyone would have really envisioned i guess prior to actually experiencing experiencing the internet like try and think like if you met someone that had no idea what the internet was like you can because when i was a kid like you the only way you could access, access it was through a computer. Now you can do it on your phone. I can, I think, like on something like an Apple Watch, like you, oh, the, oh yeah, we're going to talk about the internet of things in a second, but so many devices can, like how would you describe the internet to someone who had no idea what it was? You, you can't really, you, 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 it's something you have to do. It's something you have to experience fully to understand it. So anyways, back to the question of, is this good or is this bad? Because like I said, it, it, it creates opportunities for people. It cre- it, it's able to connect various groups of people together. And that's when I was growing up and we're talking about the internet because like it was still like, it was still in its infancy. So people were still trying to figure out how to use it. But usually one of the um, highlights or benefits of the internet was bridging communities together in this case in a positive manner so if you are someone that likes some kind of niche activity or hobby or something like that you could find a group of people that also shared in that similar interest because as i mentioned like it's something you could find locally so let's say you like to do photography I'm sure there are local photography clubs or whatever in, in, in your city or in your community. Maybe not. Maybe you come from a small town where that's just not possible and you'd have to go into the city or something to, to find something uh, like that. But with the Internet, you can share and you connect with people who are also passionate about photography, just as an example. So it creates that. But I think in all the optimism that we want to find in our technology we never really stop and think, well, what about the negatives, right? So when we're talking about bridging communities or building communities or finding people that think like you or have interests like you or have hobbies like you, we think about all the positives that can be done with that. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I don't think we take the time to consider, well, how can this be abused? And how can, like, what are some of the negative traits or negative communities that may come together? Like most recently when the, with the rise of like, a lot of like Nazi fascist right wing hate groups, I guess, nationalistic hate groups. It's, it's something like the power of the Internet that kind of also brings those kind of people together for a long time. Speaking of, uh, of hate groups and stuff like that, I remember it was probably like early 2010s era thinking that. Uh, okay, we're pretty done with like a lot of these like Nazi hate groups and stuff because I had been watching some documentaries that kind of looked at that. Like, I guess you could call them like uh, you could call them the old guard. So people from like the 70s and 80s who were on with their like racist tangents and hate for people who are non-white, basically. But they seemed out of touch, disconnected and alone in their pursuits. So you would see these last, I guess, vestiges of this kind of thinking kind of dying down. And I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, this is uh, on a downward trend. I don't think we need to worry about this too, too much. Not gone because you're never going to get rid of people's irrational fears of other groups or other things that they don't like. It'll always be around in some form, but I don't think it would rise to the prominence that we've seen over the last couple of years. 
And how does this stuff happen? Well, it's like part of it. I'm not saying solely of the internet. Part of it is 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 online groups where you had channel uh, channels where you had uh, you know communities and websites and forums like 4chan and a bunch of boards like on on Reddit and and a lot of probably podcasts. You know, obviously you still have your traditional news media that will will carry this kind of stuff. But with the power of the internet, if you're a, a website that kind of wants to push this stuff, you can easily reach people, as I mentioned, all over the world, potentially. Although if you're a hate group, you don't want to reach all over the world because probably you hate the vast majority of the world. But the point is you can reach out to the type of people that you're looking for and you're not limited by needing physical supplies. Like if I want to publish a website before the internet, I would have to, you know, acquire stuff. I would need somewhere where I could print because I have to make physical copies of whatever it is I'm making, right? Whether it's a newsletter, letter, some kind of zine, even if it's just holding a meeting in my town with people who I want to find who are like me, who are, you know, white supremacist leaning, I would still need to find a place where we could congregate. I would still need to like put ads like in the news, but I don't know, however you attracted people back in the day. You still have to do that, whereas, and that obviously takes time and money. Now, I'm not saying that publishing a website doesn't take time and money. It does, but you're less limited on who you can reach. Because for me to have, let's say, a national appeal, whether I'm in the U.S. or Canada, I would have to start locally in my city, and then I would have to build slowly from there. And so I imagine that would take a lot, a lot of work. And then, you know, word of mouth, okay, I'm going to spread to other provinces or other states. And then now, boom, now we're around nationally. Whereas with the internet, like I said, you can, you can go anywhere much more easily. It's a lot easier for online communities to connect to your website or, you know, podcast or YouTube channel, whatever it is that way, because a lot of those restrictions have been removed because it doesn't require being physically present, like in the actual space where we're, we're discussing these ideas. So on that end, and then and this ties into like social media, like for like Twitter, Facebook, and meme creation, well, what we call memes now, uh, you know, memes of in and of themselves aren't bad. I think I mentioned this in a previous episode. I don't remember which one, but memes themselves, like when they're just innocuous, like okay, stupid sayings, or uh, you know, cats doing something funny, or just like a funny situation in general that basically don't say anything beyond just like simple entertainment is when you use them to, you know, push a political agenda in a meme, but you severely, or I guess you should say you greatly reduce the nuance and context of something. So you simplify stuff down to its like basic form. But when you do that, you get rid of all like the complication and gray gray area in in a given matter to give a black and white answer to something and so that's like my general issue uh with memes and and on something like the internet and social media like they're very easy to propagate because it's very bite-sized easily digestible quotable material it's something that can easily stick in your brain and from that formulate opinions based on pretty much nothing and you see that all the time where people will take an image, whether that image is like a photograph or just like an image of text or whatever it is, and come up with a whole backstory around it. It's like the saying, like, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, it's true because people will come up with, like I said, an encyclopedia worth of opinion based off of or thought formulation based off of one image which does not give you the full context of a given situation, which is why, in my view, you, there's no truth in photography. Because, you know, another thing is we also, uh, is, uh, is uh, seeing is believing or whatever. Maybe if you see something with your own eyes, but when, when it's an image, when it's something that's created, when it's something that's arbitrary, uh, there is no truth in that. Because it's something that's been formulated, it's something that's contrived, it's something that has been made by someone. So when someone takes a photo, they're choosing what to put in front of the camera. In this case, if it's a camera taking it, because you can create photos with software uh, on your computer. But you decide what gets put in and more importantly, what doesn't get put in. So as an example, 
I remember, I don't know if you guys remember or any listener remembers during the inauguration of uh, Joe Biden earlier this year, or if you're listening in the future and it's not this year in 2021, that image of Bernie Sanders sitting uh, on the chair, kind of like all bundled up, you know, he's wearing coat, mittens, mask, uh, you know, he's got his legs crossed and his arms crossed. Right. And it's something that became like a meme. It became a viral image that started popping up anywhere. And then I had noticed <laughs> someone had, you know, taken the image and then they put their opinion on it. So they saw this image and then they had a reaction to it. And so this is, uh, I guess on Twitter, this, this person wrote, uh, ice cold feminist take. I love Bernie. I really do. But sir, emotional labor is not beneath you. Not feeling it. Fucking pretend for one minute like most women do every minute. So they've, they've jumped to this conclusion, assuming that Bernie is somehow feeling that he is better than this whole situation that is going on. And that's just a ridiculous opinion to take based on this photo that, that captured less than a second of Bernie during this time. Right? Because don't forget, when, when cameras take photos, whether it's on your phone or whether it's uh, an actual uh, camera, Right. The shutter moves at less than a second when it opens up to expose the film or expose the sensor to light. It's less than a second. Right. It's a fraction of a second. So you're capturing an image. You're capturing something that has that's imprinted forever of, of, of a moment in time that is less than a second. And now you've just put all this meaning into it by saying that Bernie thinks that uh, all this is beneath him. How do you know any of that is going through this person's mind? Like, that is, like, absolutely ridiculous to say such a thing. Right? Someone replied to the tweet saying, Bruh, it was snowing and Bernie is literally 79. The man is cold. There is no take to be made. WTF. Right? And then someone else said, Bernie's appearance at the inauguration was the ultimate in performance art. It was petulant posturing of a disgruntled old man who sat and pouted alone in his cheap suit and homemade mittens. Bernie Sanders is a millionaire who couldn't, who could have rolled out with the best of them. And then someone replied, he is literally just sitting down. Can people calm the fuck down? Right. All this from an image of Bernie Sanders sitting during the inauguration. That's why I'm saying photos aren't truth because that doesn't tell you how he was feeling. That tells you nothing. There's nothing in that image to dictate the meaning that these people are giving that image. This idea that Bernie feels like he's beneath all this, that he's grumpy and dissatisfied. Like, where did that come from? If he got up and spoke and gave a speech saying that, then okay, yeah, sure. Then you could say that that photo is representative of that viewpoint, but that never happened. So I'm like, where did you guys get this from? You just made that up. That's how you felt. That's how you interpreted the image. And I'm not saying you're wrong for having that interpretation or... I guess I should say, I'm not saying you're wrong for having a interpretation. It remains to be seen whether that interpretation can be said to be correct or not. In this case, I would say that is wrong because there is no justification for why you have that particular viewpoint. And this is what I mean. Like, this is only possible because of something on the Internet, right? Twitter is something you access through the Internet. This is something that has the potential to reach millions of people because you can have a, a viral tweet where everyone sees it. You can be someone who is popular on Twitter and has millions of followers or tens of thousands of followers, right? And so going back to like the, the worst part of the internet with like online hate groups, this is like the same, same kind of thing. It's easy to post, you know, Blue Lives Matters or All Lives Matters BS stuff in a meme because it lacks context, it lacks nuance, and it's easy to spread misinformation. I mean, just look at, Right now with the with the vaccine rollout, how many people are spreading things or, or uh, misinformation or uh, people's hesitancy to wear masks in general? It's very easy to spread all these kind of messages around, especially the anti-vax stuff. I think I mentioned this in a previous episode where I did a project uh, at school that talked about anti-vax. This was like probably like 10 years ago now, so it wasn't exactly what the anti-vax stuff is now but it's the similar thing and when i was making my presentation to the class it was in an english class and then we were being rated by our classmates right they had their comments to, to to give about what they liked or didn't like about your presentation and i showed like different 
levels of websites that you can go to that will give you anti-vax information. So you have ones that look like legit, look professional, kind of like what you expect on some legit organization's website. It looks really well done, has nice images, has good design, at least for the time. And it has, you know, the way it's written sounds semi-plausible, especially for someone who has no experience or understanding of how science and vaccines work. This could pull you in. You might believe it because it looks legit. And then another type of website that looks a little bit more sketchy, right? It doesn't look like it's a reputable source. You know, I would question, you know, it's, it's information that they have on there. It's not really sleek. It looks really homemade. And then you have uh, even sketchier website where it, I guess to describe it, it would look like it's something someone wrote on the back of a, a napkin. And then you're taking that as gospel. And then the point that I was making in my presentation was that these sketchier websites, although to us, you would probably rightly say that, hey, this looks sketchy. I probably shouldn't trust the information on there. For a lot of people, though, the sketchier the website, the more convincing the content is because this is the alternative information that the mainstream media doesn't want you to know. Right. So that nice, glossy looking website they're not going to tell you this information, this down and dirty, like I said, looks like it was written, the equivalent of looking like it was written on the back of a napkin. That's your real information right there. And when you think about things like QAnon, and I'm not going to get into too much in conspiracies now because it's going to be a topic for another day, right? That came from like a 4chan board. <laughs> when if I don't, I'm not sure if 4chan's still around or if they change it to 8chan or something, I don't know. But if you've ever been on 4chan, like it was very sketchy. Like I would not trust most of the information that I had ever come across on 4chan. Not that I was ever on 4chan for long periods of time, but I would peruse every now and then. But that's the, the type of thing that it would appeal to a certain subset of people that believe that they're getting the real information that more reputable sites aren't going to tell you. So this is what the Internet does. Right? It provides all kinds of communities the ability to interact and connect. Right, Same thing for something like Facebook, which I hate Facebook partially because of the propaganda and other BS it spreads, but also because it's trying to become the Internet. Like if you remember back in the day during dial-up, there was AOL. And AOL was like a version of the Internet. Like I remember AOL keywords. So I never really had AOL, but I remember seeing it everywhere. And it was like the internet, but filtered through AOL. That's what Facebook wants to do, basically. So any popular other app thing that comes out, now the internet is such that you don't need a web browser to, to do things on it. You have things like apps where you can interact through stuff on, on the internet. Facebook tries to incorporate it because they don't want you to leave. They want you to do everything in Facebook. And much like Twitter and YouTube, they want people using it and engaging on it. And that's why you'll, you'll notice that they don't take down a lot of like things you would consider to be hateful or misinformation without like a lot of pushback and stuff. And then the other thing I guess about the internet is that it's, it's used to just mine data about you, to build a profile to target ads towards you, which in a sense makes sense. Because that's what all really entertainment slash news media slash uh, print media. It's all a way to sell advertisements. It's less obvious. Well, maybe it's more obvious because you do get all those banner ads. But I use ad blocker because I cannot stand ads. I hate ads with a passion. And I know a lot of sites are like, we can't make money without the ads. So blah, blah, blah. And, and look, I understand that. But the ads are too invasive. You know, they, they, they play sounds and they're super loud. <laughs> they pop up. I mean, the pop-ups are, are less, but I remember back in the day, ads would, would pop up frequently. And then they did the pop-unders. And you, when you watch YouTube videos, right, they, they, at the beginning, you have like the mid-rolls. At the end of a YouTube video ad, when you go to the movie theater, before they play the trailers, ads obviously of commercials on television. And then of course, in the early days of television, you had ads baked into the show. So you would have the actors of the show 
you know, shouting out the sponsors, kind of like what they do in, in YouTube videos now. Ads, it's all done to sell ads. And on the internet and other apps that connect to the internet, that, that's what it's all for, is basically to sell ads. Like there was, what was this group? I read about it this week. If I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. I don't remember the name off the top of my head. There was a group that was trying to highlight how Facebook tracks you and builds a profile around you by showing you targeted ads that would basically describe you, right? Things you liked, where you are, your location, all that kind of stuff. And of course, Facebook pulled the ads because they don't want anyone pulling back the curtain. If I can use a Wizard of Oz analogy, I guess. They didn't like that. They don't want people to know. They don't want that level of transparency. But then on the other hand, for the internet, there is a lot of positivity. There's a lot of good communities out there. There's a lot of skills that you can learn. There's a lot of information that you can learn that is pretty much, I don't want to say free because although you don't pay directly to go on the internet per se, not like back in the day, like when I was a kid, it used to be by hour. So the way they sold internet plans was let's say you had eight hours of internet access time. Or otherwise, you would, you would be charged extra, I guess. I don't know, because I, I didn't pay the bills as a kid. So I'm not sure how it worked 100%. But it was on those lines. It was limited by time. And then eventually, at least here in Canada, we started getting broadband. And then part of the features with that was like, oh, you're getting broadband, but you have unlimited, unlimited time. So they moved away from a time-based pricing system, now it's through uh, data, right? So how many gigabytes of bandwidth you get per month or whatever the billing cycle is. And now they have also done like the unlimited and then usually it's, um, I think, so. I'm, I'm not sure how it works everywhere, but it's like some places it's like, okay, you get, you know, 500 gigs of bandwidth and then if you go over that, the speed that which you can access it will get reduced to, 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 to something else, to something slower. Something along those lines. So it's not free, in a sense, to go on the internet because you have to essentially access it from a physical space. So whether you're on a computer somewhere, whether you're on a phone somewhere, tablet, some other device somewhere, you need to have that initial connection, whether you're in a public library, uh, if you want to do it at home, at work, whatever it is, you still need access to like a terminal, I guess, that can access the internet. But let's say you're at home. So one, you have to have a home. Otherwise, you got to go somewhere that will provide it to you for free or for uh, a cost. I remember back in the day, internet cafes were super popular. I'm not, still, I'm not sure if they still are. Definitely not as popular if, the, if they're still around. So, so you have to have somewhere to live. Obviously, you have to pay for your electricity. You, and then you actually have to pay for uh, an ISP, which is an internet service provider, to give you the connection to the internet, at least here in Canada, there's been a push more recently to cre- to consider uh, internet access uh, basically as a utility. So something that everyone ideally has the right to access. So that would basically, the idea would be to lower the cost of monthly internet access or at least create like some kind of basic pricing package for people. Because nowadays so much is online not just in terms of information, but in terms of like commerce and needing to access information for the purposes of commerce, like to work, to find jobs, uh, to get training, uh, to, to well, learn like education, especially now with, with the pandemic that's going on, a lot of learnings online. Like you need that access. You can't function in the world right now without internet. But at the end of the day, it's not something free. It's like when you move into an apartment. Now, I know some places have water taxes, but let's just say for argument's sake, you know, you don't have to pay extra for your, your rent to turn on the water. Basically it's like water is something that is, that is essential. You need it. Like there's no way around it. And the internet is, you know, nearing that point where I don't really understand how you could probably function in the modern society without internet access. But at the end of the day, it's not free. So you need to pay for it. But essentially once you get on it, there's no further limitations Generally speaking, because obviously there's pay sites and it could be s- simple as like, I know a lot of newspaper websites, journalist websites, right? Like the Wall Street Journal, and even the Globe and Mail here, like in Canada, uh, probably the Toronto Star too, where certain articles, sometimes they'll say, oh, you get fr- five free articles like a month or something or 
some of them, if it's like local news, okay, it's free. But if you want to read like opinion pieces or other, other works, you need to pay access to. But generally speaking, majority of the information is, is free once you actually get on the internet. And that's good. That's a good thing. Like, I, like, I, like I've mentioned, I've, I've been able to learn and experience and see so many other things that I don't think I otherwise would have been able to without a tool like the internet. Because obviously, yes, you can learn stuff from books. You can learn stuff from, you know, video or DVD or whatever, you know, physical media that plays visuals, going to theaters, going places, going to live events. Those things are important too, but it's so much more versatile on the internet with a computer. So there's so many positives. But then going back to the negatives, like looking at commerce, as I mentioned, I believe in a few other uh, episodes, one being uh, online shopping is terrible. If you want to go and listen to that one where I talk about this more, where the rise of, of online shopping has become arguably worse, not because the experience in and of itself is bad. I mean, I guess that depends on the website. Most of the time, it's fine. If you want to get something, it's simple. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, in terms of like how the metaphor of how we shop online, right? You have your you have your items, you have your cart, you add things to the cart. Once you've added all your stuff to the cart, you go out to the checkout, you, you know, you give your shipping address, you give your billing address, you you give your credit card or debit card or through PayPal or whatever it is, Apple Pay, and then you, you know, you pay and then you get the stuff that you buy gets sent to your house. Perfect. Hey, that's awesome. But more and more recently with the rise of bots, this is the only thing that's possible now with the internet is to make millions of accounts or buy, well, I guess millions, I'm, I'm, I'm using hyperbole here, so please bear with me. But to make a bunch of accounts, uh, to buy up a bunch of stock because you think you can make money off of it. You can buy up all the stock. So like for a PS5 or Xbox, just as an example, but it's other mundane things that I don't get. Like I understand for things that are in demand, usually my complaint is with shoes because I like to buy shoes. It's difficult to get stuff because you have people who create these programs, which are, which themselves are highly regulated in terms of getting access to them. It becomes impossible because the machines come and they can obviously move and act faster than a person can because it's all code it's all line code that gets executed and it's pretty much instantaneous like any site that i've been on there's a bunch of like local boutiques well local local to canada not local to me necessarily where they do online releases if there's no bot protection which most of the time there isn't because it's probably not worth it it's gone in like a second literally let's say the item is going to be available at 10 a.m as soon as it's 10:01. And when I say 01, I mean one second. So 10, 0, 0, 0, 1. Not even a full minute has gone by. It's all gone. That's it. You maybe have a slight chance if luck smiles upon you that day. But it's gone. I've, I've tried it to see, you know, maybe I, I can get something. Because they do try to put up like captures and a few other things. And I don't know how it works on the back end because these bots tend to go in through a different way, uh, and I've never really used one myself, so I'm not 100% sure on that, but basically it's gone. When they do put bot protection on, on really high-profile releases, it's fine. It, it's a pleasurable experience, because even if I don't get the shoe, at least it's like, okay, I had a chance. It's not gone in one second, right? This normally happens for, like, a boutique that's going to have a collaboration with, like, Nike or Jordan or whoever, and it's pretty high profile and they, I'm sure they invest in the extra bot protection because they would rather have majority of people coming to buy this stuff, have a positive experience than have a negative one because negative experiences last with us longer than good experiences. Like you'll remember something bad that happened to you and it could have happened just once, but that was going to stick longer with you than like, you know, let's say a hundred good experiences of like the same thing. So let's say you go to a restaurant and you've been there. Plenty of times, no problem, food excellent, service excellent, not too expensive, great. And then you have one bad experience. Obviously, it depends what it is. If you have food poisoning, because something was undercooked, it was an accident, whatever, you will be like, mm, I don't know if I want to go back there. Or a waiter was rude to you, so I don't know if I want to go back there. Even though you have been there a hundred times and everything was perfectly fine, you've been perfectly happy with it. 
So that's one of the things. Now, obviously, that's not as, uh, you know, you can argue it's not the same level as, you know, hate stuff that pops up on the Internet and the lack of nuance that pops up. That's the other thing. It's just the lack of nuance that proliferates a lot of stuff online. And it's really, uh, I guess, frustrating and boring to see conversations like, or read a discussion thread. I mean, it obviously depends on the community because there's like places that are really positive and there's productive discussion going on where it's just like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Oh, this person actually brings up a good point too. On the, you know, it depends what the subject is. But oh, okay, I can kind of see where you're coming from. This is interesting read. I like this. Oh, I'm learning about things I didn't know about before. And then, of course, it devolves into, you know, hateful, like, if you don't think exactly like how I think, then, you know, you're a bad person logic that easily proliferates Twitter threads, uh, YouTube comments, probably Facebook comments. Like I see it all the time when discussing different personalities and stuff on the Internet. And it's to me, it's all dumb. And it just becomes to the point where, like, I don't want to interact with anything like social media related, especially because it's a lot of it is, is found there and it's terrible. So briefly, but before we end this episode, I'm just going to touch on the Internet of Things. Oh, and maybe streaming if there's time. Because I do have an episode about streaming. I think it's called Why Streaming Sucks or Why I Hate Streaming. And that's another thing that, uh, you know, the Internet does. Where it's like, oh, yeah, so you can stream stuff. So I don't need... And it, and it can be very useful because you have, you have the potential to have access to a whole bunch of shows and movies or what have you very easily. And you don't have to have a huge collection of DVDs or Blu-ray or stuff like that. And like I said, there's an episode on this. You can go back and listen to or talk about it more. But, but just mentioned briefly here because this is only possible through the Internet. But then there are more issues that when copyright and IP and licensing all comes into it. Well, that's not necessarily the Internet's fault, but it's still the Internet doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? It still has has context to things that affect how how streaming works in terms of the availability of certain properties of certain media of certain content and then of course there's the streaming platforms themselves which become you know this reminiscent to cable companies as i mentioned right Th things on the internet tend to take on a metaphor of something that existed before it so you can think of the streaming platform as like a channel like on a television yeah we're gonna show you t tv shows we're gonna show you movies show you all that stuff but it's exclusive to our channel. So if you want to watch what's on the Netflix channel, you can't watch it if you have the Disney channel. And, you know, you have Paramount Plus and HBO Max. And I don't know if Warner Brothers has their own separate uh, streaming service outside of HBO or if they, they made it all one now. I can't remember. And you have other other streaming platforms where they basically do the same thing. So it's going to come to a point where someone's going to say, oh, you know what? We're going to bundle all these different streaming platforms together and you can get access to this, this, and this. It's going to be exactly like cable packages back in the day. So when you had the cord cutting initially saying, oh, you don't need TV. You can watch everything through the internet. And most people do want to pay for their stuff, which is fine. But it's not cheaper. Before it was seen as cheaper because it was like, oh yeah, I have access like, to everything. But now all these walls are coming up and everything is becoming divided. And it's going to be the same thing except instead of through your television, it's going to be now on your computer. Anyways, so there's more about that if you want to listen to me talk about streaming. But quickly, uh, the Internet of Things, which is something I hate. Now, if you don't know what the Internet of Things is, basically like any device can connect to the Internet. So it's basically granting Internet access to something like your fridge, for example, or your washer and dryer, or like a, um, a security camera that you have outside your house. So, and it can be useful. It can be useful in certain, certain scenarios. Like I, like I said, for the, the example of uh, a security system, like cameras around your house, it can send you the video, or you can check in with your phone, right? See, oh, what's, what's on the camera right now? Oh, someone rang the doorbell. Oh, I can, I can see who's at my door. I'm not home, but I can see, and maybe you have it set up with like an intercom system, so I can actually answer even though I'm out somewhere else. So the person ringing the door doesn't, doesn't necessarily know I'm not home. Or you can use it to check in. I, I think people do this in stores or whatever. Like if you're running a business and you want to see what's going on in the store, you can look. Or like 
on your fridge, for example, I think the example is that, you know, you're running out of this and it can send you an alert to pick up more of this item or for your washer and dryer. You can probably send your phone a notification that, oh, the laundry's done. You can put it in the machine or in the drying machine. Oh, your drying is done. You can take it out now. You know, you don't have to go down and check or set a timer or, you know, if you didn't hear the ding when it's done. And that has, that's all cool. Like, I'm not against that in and of itself or, or you know, the smart thermostat or the connecting your lights and stuff. So you can change or turn on, change color of or turn your lights on and off. Or you can set the thermostat or potentially, I, I think I've seen things where like your door locks based on uh, like NFC or Bluetooth or something. So when you come near your, your, your house or when you leave your house, the doors automatically lock or unlock. The problem I have with this, like this idea of smart home, yeah, and like automation and all that stuff that the internet allows uh, for this to happen, uh, that in and of itself is cool in terms of like, yeah, imagine this world where like things basically open for you based on, you know, your physical location or, or proximity to stuff. You know, you have appliances that will tell you things. And, and I've seen concept art where, you know, you wake up in the morning and then your mirror, it's like a smart mirror, right? It's going to display what the weather is today. It's going to show you, you know, upcoming meetings or uh, stuff on your calendar for the day and, you know, make sure you go do this. And yeah, that's all cool. Like conceptually, like, that's fine. I got no problem with that. The problem I have is that uh, security, security, because that's the other thing with the Internet. That's why we have all these hacking issues and stuff and problem with passwords and, and Internet security is a big, big problem. And it's like, what's going to happen then when you have your house and the people who make these items don't put thought into the security? Because as I mentioned, just like with the creation of the Internet itself, we don't think about well, what are the bad things that can happen? What's the negative stuff that can happen? Because we always are sold on the idea that every technological innovation or advancement is good. It's going to be used for good. Don't think about anything bad. It's all good. But the reality is, is like, wait, there are bad things. We should be thinking about, well, what is the negative impact? Or obviously you can't guess all of them, but what are the potential negative impacts that could arise? And this is something that's present with the Internet of Things. And it's been a big problem for a lot of devices that connect to the Internet, but no one puts thought into security because, I don't know, maybe they think, well, no one's really ever going to be able to connect to this. But sometimes it can be possible to do it. And you see it with cars as well. Uh, not necessarily Internet of Things, but I think, well, maybe newer ones. But just the, you know, computerization of cars, although it deals with more computers in general, not necessarily the internet itself, but it's a problem where now these things can get hacked because it, when it, it's able to connect to the internet, because like, like I mentioned at the beginning, the internet is a series of networked computers or I guess now devices. So you could have a bad actor connect to your device through the internet. And if people create items that are meant to connect to the internet, but don't put thought into security, which a lot of places don't, which is why you're always seeing uh, accounts hacked or items that can be hacked. It's because of that. It's because it's on a network now that can be accessed by other devices that can connect to that network. Like for Star Wars, I think The Last Jedi, it was written by the director, I believe, Rian Johnson. And he said when he wrote it, he wrote it on a MacBook that was never connected to the internet because he obviously, you know, it's a big, big Disney Star Wars production. You want secrecy around it. You don't want stuff leaking out early. So to ensure that, hey, no one is able to connect to this computer, it's never going to connect to the Internet. That's why right now, if you have something that's like physical copy, so whether you write pen to paper, you write uh, on a typewriter, or if you write on a computer that is never connected to the Internet, you don't really have to worry too much about that stuff because there's no danger of it ever connecting because it's not part of the network. For like for me, uh, talking about like cars and stuff, because it's going to go there. It's definitely going to go there if it hasn't already started already. It's like, I don't want a car. I don't want a smart home. I don't want cars that can connect or any of these devices that can connect to, to the Internet and stuff because of this uh, potential that exists to be taken over. Right. Because of this lack of security that goes into it. Now, if we get into a, a time and place where 
oh, those issues have been resolved? Maybe, but I would generally rather have stuff that doesn't rely on those kind of like computer components. I'd rather just have stuff that doesn't connect to the internet. Yes, is it as cool or sci-fi-ish or advanced? Yeah, maybe not, but, uh, you know, people have been able to do stuff, plenty of stuff without uh, needing stuff to connect to the internet and have gotten on just fine. Okay, so we will end it there. I think that's a good place uh, to end. So those have been my thoughts on the internet. And obviously I don't have a conclusion to whether or not the internet is good or bad ultimately because I don't think, well, at least on on my end, I, I don't think I can come to a conclusion to say definitively it is good or definitively it is bad. Obviously it has both aspects there's potential for a lot of good. There's a potential for a lot of bad. But I think overall is definitely something that is useful. It's done, like I said, a lot of good uh, for people, I think, generally, in terms of uh, being able to connect and learn and create and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like, well, what are people connecting about? What are they learning about? What are they creating exactly? But to me, that more lies with people than the internet itself. But then also we get into the medium is the message that can kind of influence and dictate how people act on the internet. Uh, so, yeah, you can see why I don't have a definitive answer. And also, if you want to go listen to the medium is the message, we have an episode about that specifically if you want to learn more about that. But like I said, we'll end it there. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I have been your podcast person, uh, Pavlo, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi, uh, don't forget to check out uh, friends of the podcast, uh, Dexter and Alex. Check out their podcast, October Jones and Fish with Legs, which has been nominated for two like Canadian Podcast Awards, which is, you know, a really nice accomplishment. And I'm proud of them for doing that. You can also hear my voice on, on that podcast. The full season is out. It's about 20 minutes, the episodes. So it's not a huge time commitment. It's a fun story. So go check them out. Uh, if you haven't already, you can probably find them where you found this podcast. Everyone, please stay safe. We thank you for your continued support. Um, remember to get vaccinated. Peace.